0: Section thirteen of the Fortunes of Nigel by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven. You are not for the manner nor the times. They have their vices now most like to virtues. You cannot know them a pate by any difference. They wear the same clothes, eat the same meat, sleep in the self-same beds ride in those coaches, or very like four horses in a coach, as the best men and women. Ben Jonson. On the following morning, while Nigel, his breakfast finished, was thinking how he should employ the day, there was a little bustle upon the stairs which attracted his attention, and presently entered Dame Nelly, blushing like scarlet and scarce able to bring out a young nobleman sir no one less she added drawing her hand slightly over her lips would be so saucy a young nobleman sir to wait on you as she was followed into the little cabin by lord delgarno gay easy disembarrassed and apparently as much pleased to rejoin his new acquaintance as if he had found him in the apartments of a palace nigel on the contrary for youth is slave to such circumstances was discountenanced and mortified at being surprised by so splendid a gallant in a chamber which at the moment the elegant and high dressed cavalier appeared in it seemed to its inhabitant yet lower narrower darker and meaner than it had ever shown before he would have made some apology for the situation but lord delgarno cut him short not a word of it he said not a single word I know why you ride at anchor here, but I can keep counsel, so pretty a hostess would recommend worse quarters. On my word, on my honor, said Lord Glenvarlock. nay, nay, make no words of the matter, said Lord Delgarno. I am no tell-tale, nor shall I cross your walk, there is game enough in the forest, thank heaven, and I can strike a doe for myself. All this he said, in so significant a manner. And the explanation which he had adopted seemed to put Lord Glenvarlock's gallantry on so respectable a footing that Nigel ceased to try to undeceive him and less ashamed perhaps for such as human weakness of supposed vice than of real poverty changed the discourse to something else and left poor Dame Nelly's reputation and his own at the mercy of the young courtier's misconstruction. He offered refreshments with some hesitation lord delgarno had long since breakfasted but had just come from playing a set of tennis he said and would willingly taste a cup of the pretty hostess's single beer this was easily procured was drunk was commended and as the hostess failed not to bring the cup herself lord delgarno profited by the opportunity to take a second and more attentive view of her and then gravely drank to her husband's health with an almost imperceptible nod to lord Glenvarlock. Dame Nelly was much honored, smoothed her apron down with her hands, and said, Her John was greatly and truly honored by their lordships. He was a kind, painstaking man for his family, as was in the alley, or indeed as far north as Paul's chain. She would have proceeded probably to state the difference betwixt their ages as the only alloy to their nuptial happiness, but her lodger, who had no mind to be farther exposed to his gay friend's raillery, gave her contrary to his wont, a signal to leave the room lord delgarno looked after her and then looked at Glenvarlock, shook his head and repeated the well-known lines my lord beware of jealousy it is the green-eyed monster which doth make the meat it feeds on but come he said changing his tone, i know not why i should worry you thus i who have so many follies of my own when i should rather make excuse for being here at all and tell you wherefore i came so saying he reached a seat and placing another for lord Glenvarlock. in spite of his anxious haste to anticipate this act of courtesy he proceeded in the same tone of easy familiarity we are neighbors my lord and are just made known to each other now i know enough of the dear north to be well aware that scottish neighbors must be either dear friends or deadly enemies must either walk hand in hand or stand sword-point to sword-point so i choose the hand in hand unless you should reject my proffer how were it possible my lord said lord Glenvarlock, to refuse what is offered so frankly even if your father had not been a second father to me and as he took lord delgarno's hand he added i have i think lost no time since during one day's attendance at court i've made a kind friend and a powerful enemy the friend thanks you replied lord Dalgarno, for your just opinion but my dear Glenvarlock, or rather for titles are too formal between us of the better file what is your christian name nigel replied lord Glenvarlock. then we will be nigel and malcolm to each other said his visitor and my lord to the plebeian world around us but i was about to ask you whom you suppose your enemy no less than the all-powerful favorite the great duke of buckingham you dream what could possess you with such an opinion said Delgarno. he told me so himself replied glenbar lock and in so doing dealt frankly and honorably with me oh you know him not yet said his companion the duke is molded of an hundred noble and fiery qualities that prompt him like a generous horse to spring aside in impatience at the least obstacle to his forward course but he means not what he says in such passing heats i can do more with him i thank heaven than most who are around him you shall go visit him with me and you will see how you shall be received i told you my lord said Glenvarlock firmly and with some haughtiness the duke of buckingham without the least offence declared himself my enemy in the face of the court and he shall retract that aggression as publicly as it was given ere i will make the slightest advance towards him You would act becomingly in every other case said lord dalgarno but here you are wrong in the court horizon buckingham is the lord of the ascendant and as he is adverse or a favoring so sinks or rises the fortune of a suitor the king would bid you remember your phaedrus aripians geminus ripus cadentibus olus and so forth you are the vase of earth beware of knocking yourself against the vase of iron the vase of earth said glenvarlock will avoid the encounter by getting ashore out of the current i mean to go no more to court oh to court you necessarily must go you will find your scottish suit move ill without it for there is both patronage and favour necessary to enforce the sign-manual you have obtained of that we will speak more hereafter but tell me in the meanwhile my dear nigel whether you did not wonder to see me here so early i am surprised that you could find me out in this obscure corner said lord glenvarlock my page luton is a very devil for that sort of discovery replied lord dalgarno i have but to say goblin i would know where he or she dwells and he guides me thither as if by art magic i hope he waits not now in the street my lord said nigel i will send my servant to seek him do not concern yourself he is by this time said lord dalgarno playing at hustle cap and chuck farthing with the most blackguard imps upon the wharf unless he hath foregone his old customs are you not afraid said lord Glenvarlock. that in such company his morals may become depraved let his company look to their own answered lord dalgarno coolly for it will be a company of real fiends in which luton cannot teach more mischief than he can learn he is i thank the gods most thoroughly versed in evil for his years i am spared the trouble of looking after his moralities for nothing can make them either better or worse i wonder you can answer this to his parents my lord said nigel i wonder where i should find his parents replied his companion to render an account to them he may be an orphan said lord nigel but surely being a page in your lordship's family his parents must be of rank of as high rank as the gallows could exalt them to replied lord dalgarno with the same indifference they were both hanged i believe at least the gypsies from whom i bought him five years ago intimated as much to me you are surprised at this now but is it not better that instead of a lazy conceited way-faced slip of gentility to whom in your old-world idea of the matter i was bound to stand sir pedagog and see that he washed his hands and face said his prayers learned his actins spoke no naughty words brushed his hat and wore his best doublet only on sunday that instead of such a jacky goodchild I should have something like this he whistled shrill and clear and the page he spoke of darted into the room almost with the effect of an actual apparition from his height he seemed but fifteen but from his face might be two or even three years older very neatly made and richly dressed with a thin bronzed visage which marked his gypsy descent and a pair of sparkling black eyes which seemed almost to pierce through those whom he looked at there he is said lord dalgarnum fit for every element prompt to execute every command good bad or indifferent unmatched in his tribe as rogue thief and liar all which qualities, said the undaunted page have each in turn stood your lordship instead out you imp of satan said his master vanish begone or my conjuring rod goes about your ears the boy turned and disappeared as suddenly as he had entered you see said lord Dalgarno, that in choosing my household the best regard i can pay to gentle blood is to exclude it from my service that very gallows bird were enough to corrupt a whole antechamber of pages though they were descended from kings and kaisers i can scarce think that a nobleman should need the offices of such an attendant as your goblin said nigel you are but jesting with my inexperience time will show whether i jest or not my dear nigel replied dalgarno in the meantime i have to propose to you to take advantage of the flood tide to run up the river for pastime, and at noon I trust you will dine with me." Nigel acquiesced in a plan which promised so much amusement, and his new friend and he, attended by Luton and Manipeles, who greatly resembled, when thus associated, the conjunction of a bear and a monkey, took possession of Lord Dalgarno's wherry, which, with its badged watermen, bearing his lordship's crest on their arms, lay in readiness to receive them. The air was delightful upon the river. And the lively conversation of lord d'algarno added zest to the pleasures of the little voyage he could not only give an account of the various public buildings and noblemen's houses which they passed in ascending the Thames, but knew how to season his information with abundance of anecdote political innuendo and personal scandal if he had not very much wit he was at least completely master of the fashionable tone which in that time is an hour's more than amply supplies any deficiency of the kind it was a style of conversation entirely new to his companion as was the world which lord dalgarno opened to his observation and it is no wonder that nigel notwithstanding his natural good sense and high spirit admitted more readily than seemed consistent with either the tone of authoritative instruction which his new friend assumed towards him there would indeed have been some difficulty in making a stand to attempt a high and stubborn tone of morality in answer to the light strain of lord dalgarno's conversation which kept on the frontiers between jest and earnest would have seemed pedantic and ridiculous and every attempt which nigel made to combat his companion's propositions by reasoning as jocose as his own only showed his inferiority in that gay species of controversy and it must be owned besides though internally disapproving much of what he heard lord Glenvarlock, young as he was in society became less alarmed by the language and manners of his new associate than in prudence he ought to have been lord delgarno was unwilling to startle his proselyte by insisting upon any topic which appeared particularly to jar with his habits or principles and he blended his mirth and his earnest so dexterously that it was impossible for nigel to discover how far he was serious in his propositions or how far they flowed from a wild and extravagant spirit of raillery and ever and anon those flashes of spirit and honour crossed his conversation which seemed to intimate that when stirred to action by some adequate motive lord dalgarno would prove something very different from the court haunting and ease-loving voluptuary which he was pleased to represent as his chosen character as they returned down the river lord Glenvarlock remarked the boat passed the mansion of lord hunting Glen, and noticed the circumstance to lord dalgarno observing that he thought they were to have dined there surely no said the young nobleman i have more mercy on you than to gorge you a second time with raw beef and canary wine i propose something better for you i promise you than such a second scythian festivity and as for my father he proposes to dine to-day with my grave ancient earl of northampton will own that celebrated putter-down of pretended prophecies lord henry howard and do you not go with him said his companion to what purpose said lord dalgarno to hear his wise lordship speak musty politics in false latin which the old fox always uses that he may give the learned majesty of england an opportunity of correcting his slips in grammar that were a rare employment nay said lord nigel but out of respect to wait on my lord your father my lord my father replied lord dalgarno has blue bottles enough to wait on him and can well dispense with such a butterfly as myself he can lift the cup of sack to his head without my assistance and should the said paternal head turn something giddy there be men enough to guide his right honorable lordship to his lordship's right honorable couch now do not stare at me nigel as if my words were to sink the boat with us i love my father i love him dearly and i respect him too though i respect not many things a trustier old trojan never belted a broadsword by a loop of leather but what then he belongs to the old world i to the new he has his follies i have mine and the less either of us sees of the other's peccadilloes the greater will be the honor and respect that i think is the proper phrase i say the respect in which we shall hold each other being apart each of us is himself such as nature and circumstances have made him but couple us up too closely together you will be sure to have in your leash either an old hypocrite or a young one or perhaps both the one and t'other as he spoke thus the boat put into the landing-place at blackfriars lord delgarno sprung ashore and flinging his cloak and rapier to his page recommended to his companion to do the like we are coming among a press of gallants he said and if we walked thus muffled we shall look like your tawny-visaged don who wraps him close in his cloak to conceal the defects of his doublet i have known many an honest man do that if it please your lordship said richie manipules who had been watching for an opportunity to intrude himself on the conversation and probably remembered what had been his own condition in respect to cloak and doublet at a very recent period lord delgarno stared at him as if surprised at his assurance but immediately answered you may have known many things friend but in the meanwhile you do not know what principle concerns your master namely, how to carry his cloak, so as to show to advantage the gold lace seams and the lining of sables. See how Luton holds the sword, with his cloak cast partly over it, yet so as to set off the embossed hilt and the silver work of the mounting? Give your familiar your sword, Nigel. He continued, addressing Lord Glenvarlock that he may practice a lesson in an art so necessary. Is it altogether prudent? said Nigel, unclasping his weapon and giving it to Ritchie, to walk entirely unarmed and wherefore not said his companion you are thinking now of old reekie as my father fondly calls your good scottish capital where there is such banding of private feuds and public factions that a man of any note shall not cross your high street twice without endangering his life thrice here sir no brawling in the street is permitted your bull-headed citizen takes up the case so soon as the sword is drawn and clubs is the word and a hard word it is said ritchie as my brain-pan kens at this blessed moment were i your master sir said lord dell i would make your brain-pan as you call it boil over were you to speak a word of my presence before you were spoken to ritchie murmured some indistinct answer but took the hint and ranked himself behind his master along with luton who failed not to expose his new companion to the ridicule of the passers-by by mimicking as often as he could do so unobserved by ritchie his stiff and upright stalking gait and discontented physiognomy and tell me now my dear malcolm said nigel where we are bending our course and whether we shall dine at an apartment of yours an apartment of mine yes surely answered lord dalgarno you shall dine at an apartment of mine and an apartment of yours and of twenty gallons besides and where the board shall present better cheer better wine and better attendance than if our whole united exhibitions went to maintain it we are going to the most noted ordinary of london that is in common language an inn or a tavern said nigel an inn or a tavern my most green and simple friend exclaimed lord dalgarno no no these are places where greasy citizens take pipe and pot where the knavish pettifoggers of the law sponge on their most unhappy victims where templars crack jests as empty as their nuts and where small gentry imbibe such thin potations that they get dropsies instead of getting drunk in ordinary is a late invented institution sacred to Bacchus and Comus, where the choicest noble gallants of the time meet with the first and most ethereal wits of the age, where the wine is the very soul of the choicest grape, refined as the genius of the poet, and ancient and generous as the blood of the nobles, and then the fair is something beyond your ordinary gross terrestrial food. Sea and land are ransacked to supply it, and the invention of six ingenious cooks, kept eternally upon the rack to make their art. Hold pace with and if possible enhance the exquisite quality of the materials by all which rhapsody said lord Glenvarlock. i can only understand as i did before that we are going to a choice tavern where we shall be handsomely entertained on paying probably as handsome a reckoning reckoning exclaimed lord Dalgarno in the same tone as before "Perish the peasantly phrase what profanation monsieur le chevalier de Beaujoux!" pink of paris and flower of gascony he who can tell the age of his wine by the bare smell who distills his sauces in an alembic by the aid of lully's philosophy who carves with such exquisite precision that he gives to noble knight and squire the portion of the pheasant which exactly accords with his rank nay he who shall divide a pacacico into twelve parts with such scrupulous exactness that of twelve guests not one shall have the advantage of the other in a hair's breadth or the twentieth part of a drachma yet you talk of him and of a reckoning in the same breath why man he is the well-known and general referee in all matters affecting the mysteries of passage hazard in and in pinique and verquire, and what not why beaujeu is king of the card-pack and duke of the dice-box he call a reckoning like a green-aproned red-nosed son of the vulgar spigot oh my dearest nigel what a word you have spoken and of what a person that you know him not is your only apology for such blasphemy and yet i scarce hold it adequate for it to have been a day in london and not to know Beaujour is a crime of its own kind but you shall know him this blessed moment and shall learn to hold yourself in horror for the enormities you have uttered well mark you said nigel this worthy chevalier keeps not all this good cheer at his own cost does he no no answered lord Dalgarno. there is a sort of ceremony which my chevalier's friends and intimates understand but with which you have no business at present there is as majesty might say a symbolum to be dispersed in other words a mutual exchange of courtesies take place betwixt beauger and his guests he makes them a free present of the dinner and wine as often as they choose to consult their own felicity by frequenting his house at the hour of noon and they in gratitude make the chevalier a present of a jacobus then you must know that besides comus and bacchus that princess of sublunary affairs the diva fortuna is frequently worshipped at Beaujours, and he as officiating high priest hath as in reason he should a considerable advantage from a share of the sacrifice in other words said lord glenvarlock this man keeps a gaming house house in which you may certainly game said lord d'algarno as you may in your own chamber if you have a mind nay i remember old tom talley played a hand at put for a wager with quinze Leva, the frenchman during morning prayers in st paul's the morning was misty and the parson drowsy and the whole audience consisted of themselves and a blind woman and so they escaped detection for all this malcolm said the young lord gravely i cannot dine with you to-day at this same ordinary and wherefore, in the name of heaven, should you draw back from your word, said Lord Del Garno. I do not retract my word, Malcolm. But I am bound by an early promise to my father never to enter the doors of a gaming house. I tell you, this is none, said Lord Del Garno. It is, but in plain terms, an eating house arranged on civiler terms and frequented by better company than others in this town. And if some of them do amuse themselves with cards and hazard, they are men of honour and who play at such and for no more than they can well afford to lose it was not and could not be such houses that your father desired you to avoid besides he might as well have made you swear you would never take accommodation of an inn tavern eating-house or place of public reception of any kind for there is no such place of public resort but where your eyes may be contaminated by the sight of a pack of pieces of painted pasteboard and your ears profaned by the rattle of those little spotted cubes of ivory the difference is that where we go we may happen to see persons of quality amusing themselves with a the game and in the ordinary houses you will meet bullies and sharpers who will strive either to cheat or to swagger you out of your money i am sure you would not willingly lead me to do what is wrong said nigel but my father had a horror for games of chance religious i believe as well as prudential he judged from i know not what circumstance a fallacious one i should hope that i should have a propensity to such courses and i have told you the promise which he exacted from me now by my honour said d'algarno what you have said affords the strongest reason for my insisting that you go with me a man who would shun any danger should first become acquainted with its real bearing and extent and that in the company of a confidential guide and guard do you think i myself gain good faith my father's oaks grow too far from london and stand too fast rooted in the rocks of perthshire for me to troll them down with a die though i have seen whole forests go down like ninepins no no these are sports for the wealthy Southron, not for the poor scottish noble the place is an eating-house and as such you and i will use it if others use it to game in it is their fault but neither that of the house nor ours unsatisfied with this reasoning nigel still insisted upon the promise he had given to his father until his companion appeared rather displeased and disposed to impute to him injurious and unhandsome suspicions lord glenver could not stand this change of tone he recollected that much was due from him to lord dalgarno on account of his father's ready and efficient friendship and something also on account of the frank manner in which the young man himself had offered him his intimacy he had no reason to doubt his assurances that the house where they were about to dine did not fall under the description of places which his father's prohibition referred and finally he was strong in his own resolution to resist every temptation to join in games of chance he therefore pacified lord d'algarno by intimating his willingness to go along with him and the good humour of the young courtier instantaneously returning he again ran on in a grotesque and rhodomontade account of the host monsieur de which he did not conclude until they had reached the temple of hospitality over which that eminent professor presided end of chapter eleven